Business Class, a podcast sponsored by the iBear MBA program of the USC Marshall School of Business. Expert insight into the world of business. In this episode, Business Class spoke with Paul Myers about the growth of the powerful entrepreneurial ecosystem in Singapore. Paul is based in Singapore and is an early stage investment advisor for the Asian Development Bank. We started with a look at how Singapore and the Southeast Asia market has changed. The actual growth has not been limited to Singapore, but I think it's a Southeast Asian story. Uh, and Southeast Asia, by Southeast Asia, I mean Indonesia, Philippines, Thailand, Malaysia, Vietnam. Okay, what I consider ASEAN. There's a couple of other countries, but these are the core ones that I, I, I've specialized in over the years and that I, I know the best. So um, Singapore is probably the most economically developed. Singapore has always been at the forefront of economic development since World War II, let's call it. Uh, certainly in the past 25 years, it's grown from, in two generations, it's gone from relatively uh, uh, poor and uh, people living in villages to now, you know, very sophisticated, uh, very high per capita income, uh, you know, condos, nice cars, uh, high technology, very high education level, uh, very good uh, workable infrastructure, which the government in Singapore has made happen. Right, it's been very hands-on, very positive. And part of the way that they've done that is they've had some insight into the, into the future, what they wanted the future of Singapore to be like. And they've been very hands-on in terms of bringing different kinds of companies and different kinds of industries to Singapore to keep um, Singapore growing and to keep the workforce employed and not to be sidelined by uh, events that happen in the rest of the world. So when I first moved to Singapore, Seagate, the hard drive manufacturer, was the second largest employer in Singapore after the government, right? Um, because it was cheap manufacturing at that point. Very quickly, Singapore became not cheap, not a good place to be making hard drives. And so then it moved into advanced semiconductors and uh, various other kinds of industries where the government determined they wanted to be the leader in that. So during my time there, we've seen broadcasting. So it's become a, become a broadcasting and media hub. Then it became banking and financial services, and then biotechnology, and then high-end creative in industries like Lucasfilms ended up there, uh, Disney. Uh, and now, uh, while the internet 1.0 happened there as well, I think entrepreneurship is one of the engines and one of the buttons that they've been pushing. So the government has been investing very heavily in uh, creating a total environment for entrepreneurship, and that means startup money, that means changing the laws, that means training regulators to think about uh, how small companies and founders and entrepreneurs can be build into bigger companies and how to make that pathway as smooth and as uh, frictionless as possible within Singapore. The Singaporean government usually has a big hand in the course of events. How is it supporting this move to entrepreneurship? The Singapore government has always been very hands-on. Uh, Singapore is a relatively young country, uh, but the government has always had a vision of where it wanted to go, where it wanted the people to go, where it wanted the, the nation to go. So it was very hands-on, uh, and that extends also into the building of an entrepreneurial ecosystem. So it ranges from making it very simple to starting a company, 
okay? So the laws and the regulations uh, were streamlined to make it happen that way. Now it's all gone online. So you can start a new company, a new private limited incorporated company in Singapore in under a day, a few hours online. Okay, so it's very easy to do that uh, compared to some other countries around Southeast Asia where it could be weeks if not months to do the same kind of thing. Okay, um, investment laws uh, and investment rules have been simplified. Uh, capital gains taxes are removed. Okay, so there are investment incentives to do this. Uh, recently, there were changes made to the kinds of uh, taxes that were applied to venture firms for investing and then taking their money out of, you know, recouping them. They actually had a, uh, a, a gain. Okay, so it makes it on a legal and regulatory basis a lot easier to do business and to have an investment community uh, in, in the country of Singapore. This is not true in the other parts of Southeast Asia. Uh, so what we see is that a, a lot of entrepreneurs from around the region come to Singapore, set up a company, uh, bankers like that, investors like that. It's, everybody knows the rules. It's clean and clear, it's simple. There's no, there's no shenanigans or anything behind the scenes. It's just like the, the laws and regulations are very, very clear and simple and everybody knows what they are. Does this support include funding? So another aspect of this is the government has been uh, kind of priming the pump by making money available for startups, okay? And making money available for early stage investors. So whether it was early stage VCs or uh, groups of angel investors to come in or uh, pre-series A, venture firms to, to spring up and make it safe and easier for them to invest. That's what the government has done. So there's always been matching dollars or tax incentives or both uh, over the past 10, 15 years to really try to kickstart this industry. Now that it's actually going, okay, the government is stepping back and reallocating funds to maybe bigger, deeper tech projects, okay, you know, AI or other deep tech kinds of things that, uh, that require more capitalization or leveraging university research or bringing in bigger players. But so the government has had a very, very uh, hands-on role. And at first it didn't really work so well. I mean, a lot of money, uh, just kind of went in and didn't really go anywhere. You weren't seeing too many successful companies. Uh, it was very easy to raise a million dollars. Not too many companies went further than that. There weren't advisors, there weren't angels, there weren't uh, uh, other Series A kinds of venture backers around. So it was very difficult. It was a learning stage. Paul brought us back to why Singapore is taking this leadership position. Southeast Asia is going to be the next market. It's going to be the next market. It's going to open up. Finally, that's starting to happen now. I think as we've seen, you know, China markets uh, maturing, India is starting to get a lot of traction. There's certainly investment in India. Um, the next nearest market is Southeast Asia. And it's never been looked at as, as a unified whole. I mean, you have all these different countries and different languages and different laws, true, that still exists. But now it's looking like it can be, you can go to a place like Singapore and set up your company using the clear and clean rules and regulations and investment laws to be able to then go to a, a market like Indonesia or Thailand or Malaysia uh, or Vietnam to so have a, a regional base, but then be able to go to the other markets, which may be earlier stage still and have a li little higher risk, but you can still keep your money somewhere safe. We looked at how Singapore's policies and stability 
are creating benefits. There are two ways of looking at this. One is companies that come from outside of the region and come into the region to expand. Uh, Uber would be an example, okay? So Uber sets up the regional headquarters in Singapore and then goes, okay, we're gonna go into Malaysia, we're gonna go into Philippines, we're gonna go into Indonesia, but you know, our regional staff and our regional HQ is gonna be in Singapore. Partly because of all the rules and regulations, partly because Singapore also makes it very attractive to set up your operational regional headquarters there. Tax breaks, incentives, maybe in co-investment, those kinds of things. So you'll see a lot of big companies come and do that. So who has their regional headquarters there? Facebook does, Google does, uh, Uber does, etc. Okay, so you start to see that happen. Uh, Airbnb, all, all, all of the big obvious tech companies that come out of the valley uh, have gone there to set up their regional HQ. Flip side of that is, if you're a Singaporean company, do you go regional, right? Um, a little less so. Um, there aren't so many regional stories coming out of Singapore. Um, there are a couple of, of them now. There's one, a game company that was called Garena. It's now called CSEA. Okay, they're headquartered in Singapore. They were founded there. They just went public uh, a couple of months ago. They're, you know, they're a unicorn now. Um, there's a, a competitor to Uber, a regional competitor known as Grab. It started initially in Malaysia. It's moved a lot of its headquarters uh, to, to Singapore, but they're a regional competitor to Uber. And um, as of today, the, the rumors are that basically Uber is gonna sell its assets to, to Grab, okay? And, and do what they did in China because they can't compete against a locally well-funded competitor, okay? It'll be very difficult to do so. So you start to have examples like that um, that are local to the region and then competing within the region. Are companies expanding into the region by purchasing other companies? Sure, there's a lot of buyouts happening. So when Rocket Internet um, came to Southeast Asia and did their, you know, their, their, their methodology was to take a successful model like an Amazon or like a food delivery service or something like that and try local versions in local markets. Uh, some worked, some didn't work. Um, what we see is some of them have been now been rolled up um, and purchased with mostly Chinese money. So you start to have uh, buyers like uh, Tencent come in, Alibaba come in and taking the more successful e-commerce sites. E-commerce uh, tends to be where those roll-ups are happening and the purchases are happening because there's a big cash flow. Then um, they can operate on a very fast scale like they're used to in China. Um, they understand how those businesses work. Is there an overall driving force pushing Singapore in this direction? The question is, what does Singapore do to stay relevant, okay? Singapore has six million people. Okay, uh, no natural resources. It used to be a trading port. Uh, the importance of the trading port is diminishing over the years, certainly in the past 10, 15 years. As China gets stronger and bigger and um, you know, has its own ports, uh, which it didn't 25 years ago really to speak of, now the, the need to have um, transshipment happening in Singapore has been lessened. Okay, so uh, a small number of people Small number of graduates, okay, they could be very, very smart, but it's always going to be a small number compared to the number of, you know, graduate STEM degrees come out of China or something like that in, in a country that has over a billion people versus a country that has six million people. So there is an important 
Singapore government uh, has to think about how does Singapore stay relevant and important, and how does it keep its people employed and fed and happy and all the kind of subsequent kinds of things there. So that's kind of where the entrepreneurship idea comes from, in part, because new ideas, new companies, new capital, new markets, those kinds of things. And it's happening from within. Um, as, as opposed to when I first moved to Singapore in the 80s, it was still very much attracting foreign companies to Singapore in order to keep people employed and to learn the next level of skill sets. Now there's a really large push to creating value within Singapore. And that's what we're seeing. So then it, it's not so much a question of looking to the States or looking to China as it looking to the best market for uh, the goods and services and products that come out of this entrepreneurial spirit. So the, the nearest, most logical markets would be Southeast Asia. Uh, some into India, some into China, of course, but you know, it's easier for a Singaporean company to go to Jakarta, which is an hour away by plane or an hour and a half away, than it is to go to China, which is six hours away. I mean, for a hundred different reasons, distance being one of them, but it's just easier to do that. Um, Singapore has good relations in general with its neighbors. And so um, and the ASEAN block, the trading block exists there, as does APAC. Um, so there are, are trade uh, regulations in place so it makes a lot of sense to be able to do it locally as well. Looking ahead, what are you seeing? First and foremost, Indonesia's taking off. Indonesia is very, very hot right now and will only continue to be hot. It's a very big country. It's the fourth most populous country in the world, right? Um, and it's always had a large potential, but over the past couple of years, um, uh, the government has done a few things to make it easier to invest in small companies. Uh, angel investors have come in. There have been a few successful uh, Indonesians who have come to the Valley or gone other places and made money and moved back and are bringing expertise and cash and investment money back. Um, and it's really starting to happen. So now there are four unicorns in Indonesia. People are starting to pay attention. Chinese money is starting to come in. Japanese money is starting to come in. Uh, there's, you know, 300 million people there. There's a lot of people. Uh, they all own phones. Like, it seems like everybody has a phone, right? There's a huge unbanked population. There's a, uh, uh, the country in the past two years has uh, made it nationalized healthcare. So people in 17,000 islands or 22,000 islands, I guess, now all have healthcare, but very, very low ratio of doctors and nurses to, to patients. So, um, we have the potential for, with everyone having a phone and money being stored on their phone to do all sorts of really interesting revolutionary kinds of healthcare delivery, right? Wow, that's kind of cool. You know, and you think about it on that scale, that's a big scale. They don't have to go to America. They don't have to do anything other than be in Indonesia to have good, big, successful companies, right? Last words on entrepreneurship? To me, now entrepreneurship and now startups are about solving problems, right? Um, it's, it's not about getting the best coffee to your house or you know, toothpaste.com or any of the kind of bubbly things that sometimes we see in the West. This is like, here's a real problem that needs a real solution and people are coming up with the real solution. The more local that is and the more specific it is to a local situation, the better the chances are of it succeeding. And that's what we're starting to see now. That's the cool bit for me. Business class. 
expert insight into the world of business. The host is Dick Drobnik, producer Pankaj Bhushan, director Dan Griffin, web developer Rick Pine, and I am Robin Garthwaite.